Hello everyone, I'm Abhijat Saraswath and you're listening to the Fringe Legal Podcast. This is a show where I discuss the future of the legal profession with practitioners, thinkers and innovators. The future is of course a topic that's becoming more important than ever, especially in these turbulent times. And I do hope you're all keeping well and safe. Before we get started, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Fringe Legal Newsletter. This is a weekly roundup of interesting things. Every Sunday, I send out an exclusive email with three to five of the coolest things we've explored that week. It could include exclusive content, sneak peek at future projects, books, articles, or new hacks. The emails are available only if you subscribe to the newsletter and more than 530 people receive it every single week. You can join up at fringelegal.com slash newsletter. It's completely free. Hello and welcome to Fringe Legal. My guest today is Mick Sihi. Mick joined PwC as a partner in October 2018 to build and run PwC's Australian new law practice, focused on providing strategic consulting, technology and outsourcing solutions to legal departments. Mick is a recognized international leader in the field of legal innovation and transformation, having won numerous international legal innovation awards and with his work, the subject of case study for Harvard Law School. Mick founded and chaired the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium Australia, an industry body established to share best practice legal operations and innovation knowledge. Mick is a director of Fitzroy Legal Service, a member of the advisory board of Swinburne University Law School, has an extensive commercial and M&A background, and before PwC, spent 14 years at Telstra, where he was the general counsel. On the show today, we discuss a recent paper that PwC released, and in doing so, we talk about data-driven decision-making. As we go through that, you'll learn why PwC decided to create this case study, the three waves of legal operations, vendor management, productivity, and insights. We talk through deciding what to measure and what data to capture within the organization, and why often legal departments aren't even part of the conversation around spend and business measurements. Lastly, we talk through who in mixed team does this work or this type of work. We discuss the three categories of data to be captured, those that are easy to maintain, medium difficulty to obtain, and those that require a significant amount of work. As we do that, we look at three different functional examples in what to measure, how to measure it, and why to measure it. And these three areas are business strategy, technology and innovation, and knowledge management. This was a really fun discussion and a great chat with, with Mick. And without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fringe Legal Podcast. This is a special bonus episode, and I am so glad to have Mick Sihi on the show today. Mick is with PwC in Australia. He's a partner there who joined the firm in October 2018. So, Mick, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Ab. Great to be here. Wonderful. And uh, yeah, we got connected because one of your colleagues, Marlo, sent me some work that the firm had published recently around legal department metrics. The topic of measurement is near and dear to my heart. And she connected us. So Marlo, if you're listening, thanks. Thanks to you for connecting us too. And I guess what I wanted to do was go through a bit of that to understand 
what led to that paper, what the key takeaways are, and how others can actually use that to leverage it in their practice. And before we do that, people have already heard uh, what you do and how you came to be here. I, I know you joined the firm in 2018, two years ago. Uh, lots changed in the world. How, how's it all going in Australia for you? Yeah, it's, yeah, there's been a huge amount of change. Interest in what we do, which is helping legal departments with transformation, thinking about how they use technology and how they use data, it's probably only increased. I think that our you know, challenges under COVID and remote working and trying to work out how we provide the same sort of services but not able to enjoy the same sort of physical environments is really putting a spotlight on on this and it's yeah probably the only sort of silver lining on being locked in your home 24 <laughs> <24/7. laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I hear you and and before this obviously you, you worked at uh, you, you know MA and you worked at Telstra as a GC so I'm, I'm sure a lot of that will influence all the work that we'll talk about in a second too so I guess yes yeah, start with this paper tell us the the mm. background to this how did it come to be you know, what's the importance and the benefits of leveraging metrics? Yeah, it's uh, okay. So why did we do it? I think there's, there's probably a sort of a short story and a, or in a longer version. The, the short version is simply, and really, as you say, from my background at Telstra, being a general counsel at Telstra, Telstra is one of the larger, or well, is the largest telco in, in Australia. And really... As I looked around my company, I felt that all the other departments were so adept at using numbers and metrics, in particular to go um, uh, and fight for internal funding, whereas the legal department was hopeless at it. In fact, we weren't even part of the conversation. So I really felt that there was a, a real problem here that we needed to solve. That, that was pretty much the, the sort of the, the, uh, the short version of why I've always felt that we needed to make um, more inroads on metrics. The longer version is, you know, if, if you're up for it, it's really sort of looking at the evolution of legal ops. If you know, legal operations has been a thing for you know, the last 10 or so years, but in particular, it's really had a, a, um, a, a, a real sort of surge over the last five years. And, and I sort of look at it in three waves. So the first wave, and really the birth of legal ops was really all around vendor management. So, you know, the first legal technology tools were all in e-billing. The first legal ops professionals were brought in to try and manage panels and get a, you know, and really sort of get a handle on external expenditure. Because yeah. legal departments have, you know, on really basic things like that, have historically not been great at even understanding where they're at in terms of, you know, spending their money. And so that was sort of the first wave. The second wave is once the legal ops um, uh, professionals sort of conquered external expenditure, they realised there's a whole bunch of other things going on in legal departments that, that needed attention. And so that second wave is really about productivity. So looking at the, the ways in which we manage our workflows, looking at bringing in automation to try and uh, get sort of High, high volume but simpler processes done better, looking at ways in which we present information, et cetera. But that, that second wave is all about productivity. I think we're about to hit a third wave, which is going to be about insights. And the only way in which you can get insights is by looking at the data you've got, 
and getting better at measurement. And so that's probably the, I sort of feel that the, you know, this is where the industry is moving. And so this was our attempt to try and do some original thinking and research around what might be important in that third wave of insights. And I guess one of the things that, that people often think about when, you know, if I mention the word measurement or metrics is they'll, their mind will immediately go to having some sort of a dashboard, right? Some sort of a, a graphical representation of data. But before that, you know, to you, what, what's the difference between capturing the metrics or the data and actually the measurement aspect of things, right? Because they're two different things and they serve two different purposes. How do you differentiate that? And I guess that that's kind of the underlying thing of what do you think about measuring and how do you decide what you need to measure a report on? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that a lot of legal technology tools get sold on really smart looking, sexy looking dashboards. And, and, and perhaps the buyer is not necessarily uh, thinking about you know, what I need that dashboard for or how is it going to play out in real life and I think it's a natural sort of, sort of way to try and you know um, capture the attention of buyers but I think that if you if we're going to actually think seriously about how to uh, bring this stuff to life where we have to start with is how we're actually going to apply the <coughs> metrics how we're going to apply the insights we get from data so it all starts with decisions there's no you know there's so many things that can be measured in legal departments and in businesses more generally, but not everything that can be measured should be measured. It all needs to be tied to decisions, decisions that matter. And if, if there is no decision to be made, then there's nothing at stake. So there's a real question about why you'd go and measure the thing in the first place, why you'd put together a, a really fancy, smart-looking dashboard if nothing turns on it. So certainly our approach is start with the decisions and work out what are decisions that matter. From there, you then work out, well, what are the metrics that we need to support those decisions? And the third step is now we know what metrics we, we need. How am I going to get the data to create those metrics? Yeah. And I think that that's a really sensible order to, to approach things in because oftentimes it kind of, flows backwards if you even end up having all three of those things in the equation. And actually one of the things I'll say, I'll link to, I'll link to the landing page for, for the paper because there's a great video there that actually walks through a dashboard, which does look really good, um, right? So full, full kudos to whoever designed that. It's a Power BI <laughs> dashboard. But what's really important is they walk through exactly the purpose behind each of the charts and how you can segment the charts and really how strategically it impacts the decisions that you need, you're looking to make. And I think, that, I think that's a good um, visual example of essentially what you just mentioned here. So, Thanks, Adam. I'm, I'm glad it came across that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you, you talked about, you know, we're, we're basically going into the sort of third wave of insights, potentially uh, from productivity to insights. What, what's, talk to me a little bit more about, you know, you talked about your, your experience at Telstra where you felt like you weren't even part of that conversation. Why do you think that is? And we've already talked about what to measure a little bit, but how, how does one, especially if you're in-house, where I think sometimes that the pressures are a bit more elevated, but not always, how do you become part of that conversation? Where do you even begin? Yeah. Well, look, I think there are a lot of historical reasons why we haven't been part of that conversation. I think that you know, legal departments have 
typically been you know, on the smaller size of a lot of internal departments compared to a finance department. Um, a legal department will be you know, a fraction of the size in general. Legal departments also tend to be dealing with, you know, again, it's a generalisation, but really sort of high value material work. So we don't necessarily need to justify the existence of a legal department on numbers uh, in the same way that we might with um, other functions that might be dealing with, on average, lower value work. Um, and the, perhaps the third reason is I just think that there's been a general assumption that the, the work that lawyers do and legal departments do is just so special and of a nature that just can't be measured. I think all of these things are sort of are excuses or reasons that don't that won't actually be valid going forward. I think that productivity and performance is going to be asked of all all functions. There will be no exceptions. And I think that this idea that what legal does is so special it can't be measured is wrong, which is the reason why we went um, through the, uh, the pretty extensive research exercise that we did. In terms of, you know, how does, so, you know, so I think those excuses don't exist anymore. And so, and that's, that's the first point. And the second point, you know, how do we become more part of the conversation? Well, I think that there is no doubt that legal departments are facing into the need to engage in transformation, to invest in legal operations. The, it's not been a, a fad. You know, the legal operations space and profession has grown exponentially. So too has the investment and in legal technology solutions and the emergence of more and more legal technology. The thing is when you invest in transformation and change, what is critical is to be able to measure the change. There's no point changing something if you don't understand your baseline. Whereas I think that perhaps, again, a lot of our early initiatives were done without baselines. If you're going to ask for more funding to support a legal operations function or to invest in new technology, you need to very clearly understand your baseline and then be able to measure in quantifiable terms what that change is, whether it be productivity benefits, whether it be turnaround times, whether it be providing new material insight to your business. These things are well capable, capable of being measured. And if they aren't measured, you'll never attract that internal investment to support these initiatives. Yeah. So, so that I guess you know, that is the um, reason why this has to um, happen. Um, without it, the funding, the internal funding and support will just dry up. Yeah, and I, I I really like the point that you made and I couldn't agree with it more that you can't really measure your progress without having a baseline. You need to be able to benchmark whether it's to your peers, the industry, your sector, your firm, something, or you know, do you just have sort of the, the alpha phase of some project and say, great, this is our benchmark if it's such a new thing. And even because I think that goes that sort of does away with the argument of oh, this is too specialized, we can't measure it. Even if it is so specialized that you are the only one doing something, after you've done one cycle of that, you should absolutely have some sort of benchmarks. Okay, so you know this takes this long. And only once you have that can you really go around trying to make improvements and knowing which dials to turn in, in order to make any sort of changes or any gains, right? Or at least know what's not working because that's also important. And part of the reason for measuring is not always about making improvements. It's also about knowing what's not working and maybe it needs to be discarded or done or dealt with in some other way. 
Totally agree. And so how, I guess, two things I wanted to cover. One is that there's an appendix in, in the work that you published, which goes through, uh, I think, 10 different areas. Uh, and it gives plenty of, ex- plenty of examples and absolutely worth checking out and what kinds of decisions to look at, how to measure it, what kinds of metrics to measure and so on. Before we go into uh, one or two of those, because I'd love to explore them in a bit more detail, Tell me from your experience as, you know, in, in your team, in your department, how do you actually use this work, right? How do you get, how do you work with your clients on this? How do you get their buy-in? Because some of this will be client-facing potentially, uh, but even if it's not, how do you get your team's buy-in? How do you actually tell them, like, this is important to us. We should measure, measure these X, Y, and Z things. Yeah, so I think our clients, it, it really depends where they're at on the, I'd say the sort of, spectrum of maturity around legal operations, transformation, innovation. So we have sort of more sophisticated clients that are coming to us and saying, look, we, we need a data and metrics strategy. So can you help us apply, basically go through the same sort of methodology, which is identifying key decisions, which is a, 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 a very much a stakeholder engagement exercise. You need to understand what the decision makers want what do the the internal stakeholders need etc it's a process that looks similar to the steps that i mentioned before with obviously a lot more detail and that but that's sort of at the sophisticated end at the sort of i guess uh less sophisticated end or the, those departments that are, are really sort of earlier on their journey as i said the when embracing any sort of change it's just a, a recognition that you're going to need to have some sort of metrics to to, to begin with but I'd probably even go a step before that and, and, and say that the, the metrics exercise is actually not particularly um, relevant unless you actually have a really clear strategy and an implementation um, roadmap. Because if you don't know, if, if a lot of the reason for, to support a, um, having metrics is about justifying change, then there's no point investing in change unless you know where it is that you're going. So those that are on a really, at that beginning of the journey, we probably spend more time talking about, well, what is their specific, what is the specific legal department strategy? Which, and again, when this comes up in our paper, needs to be tied to quantifiable, tangible outcomes. Quite often legal departments have quite, you know, ambitious motherhood statements around, you know, we want to be the trusted advisor to the business, but they don't tend to mean a lot to, the stakeholders or the lawyers in the department. So where we, where the conversation or the conversation we like to have is to try and flesh that out and, and turn that into a, a quite a meaningful, tangible strategy with measurable outputs. Once you then have that, then you can start to think about, well, what metrics do we need to actually support that and work out how we're tracking? You know, are we where we said we wanted to be in six months, 12 months, three years? Yeah. So it's a, it's a journey. And as I said, uh, you know, where you are at on that journey will really have a big influence on just how you need to be thinking about metrics and how sophisticated or, or basic you need to be uh, approaching the exercise. Let's assume you've, got, you've gone through that exercise and it's really important to do that. And certainly at a minimum, there's plenty of ways to do this, but at a minimum, you need to understand, okay, great. If we want to be the trusted advisor, how do we know we've done, we've succeeded at this, right? Or at least, as you said, we're making progress. So do you have a, 
and for more complex and maybe more mature clients where you do have quite tangible things you can measure, do you have a specific team that works on this in measuring and reporting on this? Or is everyone part of that? Everyone who's working on that project has access to certainly the output, if not just the input information, um, and they're able to present that? Or is that a role that you or others in your team will play when you speak to clients? So, yeah, this is a, a, compl a complicated and, and great question. I think that one of the reasons I came to PwC was because I, I love the idea of joining an organisation that had uh, already had a, a great track record in making significant change and in many other areas outside legal where I could take those skills and insights and knowledge and apply it to legal. And so... When to answer your question, you know, who, who in my team is doing this work? We absolutely have people, dedicated people, members of my team that are um, involved in setting up the methodology, in building the sort of you know, the metrics framework, turning that into dashboards. But they also work hand in hand with a lot of experts throughout my other parts of the PwC organisation that have done this exact exercise in other support functions like finance or HR procurement or, you know, or you can name them all but and so that that's how we set it up within my team but it's never a it's also never a um when we work with clients it's never an, an engagement whereby we get the instructions go away build the outputs and then turn it turn up a couple of months later and deliver it it's very much a co-creation because yeah. there's no no point us creating metrics and dashboards if they're not going to be very customized and relevant and fit for purpose for the individual clients. Yeah. And that requires a co-creation. So it's, there's no straight answer to your question. It's a mixture of clients, of my team, of other expertise. You know, the most important thing I think in legal transformation is to realize that, and this applies to you know, any individual legal department or our, our, in, our industry more broadly, is to not think that we're inventing the wheel for the first time. Most of the things that we've done have been done by either other legal departments or other professions, and we should be trying to learn from them, bringing those insights to help make our transformation journey as fast and as, and as, fast and as efficient as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And part of the reason I asked that question is because uh, I, can, I can already see and hear you know, individual saying, look, I have a small team. Uh, we don't have a legal ops function. You know, we barely have X people in our team. We don't have time to do this. And I guess the point I wanted to get across is, yep, there's probably no one size fit all. You can do this with probably fewer resources and you can do it with very specialist resources who've got tons of experience having done this in, you know, in other, in other areas. And, and that probably leads into talking about a little bit on how this gets done so i know there's a there's a section in in the paper about basically the how you obtain the information right uh, so there's easy yeah. to obtain medium difficult to obtain and then harder to obtain do you want to talk a little bit more about that what you know that sort of three-step process or the three gradings yeah i think it's a nice place to go next because it really goes to your point about different legal department having different sizes, different resources, different capabilities. And so when we, when we went about this exercise and you know, I must say, you know, so we ended up um, focusing on 30 odd 
um, metrics that we thought were important. By no means is this exhaustive. We actually started off with a couple of hundred and whittled them down to these top 30. These top 30 were 30 that we thought would apply to most legal departments. But it doesn't mean that um, they apply to all legal departments and it doesn't mean that there aren't many other metrics that are, that are not included in our paper that are also important, which is goes to my point about making needing to be customizable and really relevant to um, individual legal departments. But the other thing we did is we, um, out of those 30 metrics, we categorized them into sort of three. So the first being easier to obtain, the second being medium difficulty to obtain, and the third being harder to obtain. And, you know, the starting, you know, the natural starting point for a, a um, resource constrained legal team would be to look at those in the first category, easier to, to um, obtain. And we gave a bit of um, colour to that just to explain what we meant. By easier to obtain, we were looking at metrics whereby the data should already be there and in your legal department typically, and it should um, involve a, at most, a relatively straightforward you know, search or des desktop study to obtain that information. Yeah. So information that will already be sitting there in your payroll records or sitting there in your, in your, you know, in your billing and finance information. So not, not something that would require much investment at all to obtain, but still you know, able to give you great data to um, support important decisions and a far superior outcome than having no data or not or not you go not um, having any metrics at all in the medium to obtain category we looked we we felt that this was a this was data that may not be readily available but could be got through relatively straightforward means of searching throughout the organization whether that be in interrogating other databases that might sit outside the legal department or conducting surveys and interviews with, with internal stakeholders. The third category around harder to obtain is data that probably not only doesn't not necessarily exist, but was gonna require a degree of workshopping, potential sort of problem solving mapping to actually identified that data you know, a good example of it it was and, and a lot of a lot, actually quite a few metrics came out of how we actually assessed work in terms of its relative strategic value that's not something that is um, readily available you really need to break down the different categories of work and then go to a scientific method of assigning objective strategic relative values to it not a, not a simple exercise and not one that you would undertake if you were resource constrained yeah. but but, but an exercise that can lead to incredibly valuable insights and effective, powerful decision-making if you've got the ability to invest in it. So by no means were we ever suggesting everybody should go out and get and do all 30, and um, it would be a mistake. But working out which ones were a priority, perhaps having us, you know, making sure that you ticked off the, the ones that were easier, mm. and, then, and then over time, you know, investing in the ones that were a bit harder where they made sense was certainly the approach that we, we recommend. Yeah, and, and I think that sort of leads into the next section. But I mean, what, what is useful is obviously A, yeah, not, not everyone needs to do everything, uh, which should be obvious, but sometimes isn't. Um, and B, you know, hopefully the, the risk reward, I guess the amount of work and reward should be, should be linear. So if you are spending 
a lot of time. So they're sort of more difficult to obtain metrics and the potential return or potential return certainly uh, should be significantly greater. Uh, and you already gave one example of the harder metric and uh, for anyone who's reading the, the paper, this is in the appendix, but that was in the strategic section around sort of the work value. Uh, I, I guess the, the easier one was the fit for purpose, right? Where you talk about like if you already have quantifiable uh, strategic objectives, then it's relatively easy to see what percentage of those are you actually meeting up against. And what I really enjoyed reading through this, and Frank, I'll be honest, I thought the appendix was going to be boring, but it was really <laughs> practical because it broke down the decision that, you know, that, that certainly is a hypothesis, and then all the steps on how to measure it, how to use it, what the metrics are, and then also giving the level of difficulty. So, I mean, practically speaking, one can go through this and look at all the different categories of the relevant ones and simply only focus on the easier ones if they want to if that's the you know if that's a constraint for them uh, would, would you mind walking through some of the other examples you can pick any of them the ones that stuck out to me just because i have more interest in them was sort of km and innovation technology strategy strategy we already covered um, happy for you to walk through any of them if you have one or two that's closer to your heart yeah so look we have talked a, a bit about, about strategy so i won't talk much more about it Except that I do, and we started with it because it, to me, it's one of the more powerful metrics. And we, we have had quite a degree of success doing a, the, a quite an intensive exercise of really breaking down work categories and giving, as, as I said, assigning objective relative weight, strategic weights to it. That combined with data on how much time is being spent on matters is incredibly powerful in terms of working out what work should be done, not done, who should be doing it, what work should be, you know, is ripe for technology, innovation. It's, it's, but, it, but it's not for the faint-hearted. Many, many other metrics that we've got in there that are much easier to obtain. It's the one thing I would say about it, but you know, it's and and you know, and it comes as no surprise. This, the the metrics that are harder, that require a lot more effort, probably going to give you um, going to be more powerful. But it's it's a it's always going to be a effort versus sort of reward um, equation that every department needs to go through. So some of the other ones, technology you mentioned. So and again, we just sort of focused on two key decisions in technology. So one of the decisions that uh, we encounter very often is should I be in enterprise technology or legal specific technology? So should I be making use of the, the tech that the company already has there for me, which is at typically at you know, no extra cost, or do I need to actually go and find budget for specific legal technology Often the argument made for legal technology is that the enterprise technology is not fit for purpose, and if it's not if it's not going to do um, the right job in a legal department, then lawyers won't use it, or the, you know the, we won't get the right outcomes. People find ways to work around it, but that's really sort of more of an anecdotal sort of analysis of whether you should be you know, looking at specific legal tech. The way that we thought about it, and the the, the sort of the results of our research was really you need to go to the users and find out how they're experiencing the enterprise technology. Naturally, you know, if the enterprise technology works well, then why would you spend money on legal tech? So we, this was a metric that was really based on user surveys. We asked questions, uh, so we approaches to ask questions around awareness. So aware, you know, quite often 
yeah, the legal department won't even be aware of what's available within the um, enterprise. Yeah. And then to ask questions around satisfaction. So by having an awareness metric and then a satisfaction metric, it then informs whether or not you need to look seriously at legal tech. If the awareness is low, then then more effort needs to be done on exploring what's actually already available through the enterprise. If awareness is high and satisfaction is low, well, now you have the case for legal tech. That's a, that's a, um, a really basic metric, but again, better than um, the alternative, which is gut feel, which is I think we probably need to yeah. spend some money on legal tech because everybody, everybody else is doing it. But I think um, what I like I, about that is you kind of factor in one additional, almost a second bene- secondary benefit of getting legal technology. Should it be the right thing for you to do, which is to also look at, look, is the satisfaction of your enterprise technology maybe medium, let's say, so it's okay, but the awareness is low. And you can look at your cost for increasing awareness internally against the cost of the awareness effort that may come with a legal tech vendor if they're willing to do that work for you, right? So if they are willing to say, look, yep, the cost of technology is more than, well, what you already own. So maybe, you know, significantly more, but along with that, we'll, meet, we'll give you all of these adoption resources, then it may be worth making that decision if your awareness is so low that actually increasing that will have significant gains. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. And then, of course, once you then, if you, are, if you get to that point where you decide it is you know, necessary to explore, seriously look at specific legal technology, that doesn't, that doesn't, the job is not ended there. Of course, then you need to then to get metrics around the business case to actually justify it. And again, we're looking at, look at baselines and change and how, how the legal tech is going to more than pay for itself. And then you're going to have to factor into all the other, you know, it's not just the cost of the software license, there's going to be costs of managing the change and the, and, and um, internal management time, et cetera. But yeah, all of that's really, really important stuff. The second thing we looked at was automation. Quite often, you know, this, the question gets asked, you know, what should we be automating? Yep. I think the whole legal operations industry seemed to sort of uh, dine out for three or four years on instant NDAs. That seemed to be the, you know, the main topic of every yep. legal conference, the legal operations conference that you went to. I think we've moved beyond that now, but the question often is, well, what else do we do? In, NDAs was easy because NDAs quite often, certainly in larger legal departments, high volumes, really low strategic value but it's just, it, it, and and we didn't need a lot of data to justify it but but as we move into more and more um automation exercises we need to be picking off the right the right candidates there is no point automating something if it's not going to be a standard process there's yeah. no point automating something unless it's in, um in very high volume and it's probably not a great idea to automate something that's a bet the farm process for a, yep. for a business at least not until you've got a huge amount of track record on some of the low, lower value stuff yep. so again being able to unbundle the work break it into you know, relative strategic value and volumes that's the that's the the key to identifying the next cabs off the rank for automation so again just applying a, a, a sort of a, a metrics framework to make these decisions rather than gut feel knowledge management was another one you mentioned um, so the knowledge management obviously critically important for legal departments. You know, knowledge is one of the key and most valuable assets within a legal department. So you know, that's you know a key reason to focus on it. The other reason is that as 
uh, knowledge workers. We are creating knowledge is one of the things that um, we do, but there's so much inefficiency in reinventing the wheel. And so you know, the more we can try and get ahead of that, certainly the more you know, effective and efficient we're going to be. So the two questions we asked there, or the two decisions, and again, it always has to come back to this you know, decision. So the two decisions we decided was you know, where to focus our efforts on knowledge management and how much to invest in knowledge management. In terms of where, it, uh, it really came down to, you know, it comes down to an individual legal department and where they're spending most of their time searching for information. So we have a, a lot of, you know, done a lot of work in working out how you get that information. It's a matter of, you know, it will generally be a combination of looking at systems data, conducting surveys, it will help if you have a knowledge management system. But once it's, it's on the basis of that, that information that then you can start to make an informed decision about where to focus. Cause I can assure you, it should not be you, the, the wrong way to approach a knowledge management exercise to assume that all knowledge is equally valuable. That, that, that will be a huge amount of work and you'll get to the end of it and, and wonder whether or not you've really, it's been um, a worthwhile exercise. And the, probably the answer will be no, and it'll put you off looking at it again for, um, <laughs> for quite some time. <laughs> The, the, the second question was, you know, how much to invest? I think that yeah. there, was a, there was an IBIS report a couple of years ago that said knowledge workers spend 30% of uh, their time searching for information, wow. which is just extraordinary. And for most legal departments, it will be a considerable amount of time. And if we don't measure it, then we actually don't know how important an issue yeah. it is. And this is probably a metric where maybe not so much the raw number like of, of, of how much time it's been spent on, on knowledge management is as informative as seeing it trend over time. Because we, and again, this is about baselines. Yeah. The more we invest in knowledge management systems, the more efficient we should be in terms of you know, reducing that time searching for, you know, searching for information that should be more readily available. And again, I think it's that sort of a, a metric that helps back us up with the base, um, with the base case. The last thing I want to say on this is you know, there are some measurements in here that, about, that look like they're about time recording mm -hmm. and we're quite sensitive to the fact that most of our clients don't want to be recording time. Yeah. But we also have a strong view that there are many ways of getting interesting information or valuable information, useful information about how people are spending their time without requiring them to fill in timesheets. Some of it will be, you know, snapshot in time, survey information, some of it will be readily or readily available systems information. One of the most important things when you sort of think, when you read through our, our paper, is that we don't think that, as a, I had to make this point before, that everything should be measured just because it can. And that, but having some information or a bit of insight about, about things is so much more powerful than having yeah. none. And, and that's the general principle that applies. So I, 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 I I really make, I make that point because a lot of people get turned off when they think, oh, we're going to have to do timesheets. And, and that is something that I think you know, needs to be avoided. It's one of them, you know, there's, it's, that is a good example of, go, of, of using a sledgehammer to perhaps get something that could require a lot less effort to get the same sort of level of insight. Yeah. And I think, yeah, just I'm conscious of your time. I think that's really helpful. And that, that is a really important point because... Time recording is always a sensitive subject, but the, the other overarching point is for 
I think most, I would go as far as saying that, they are not measuring enough, if at all, or certainly not in the right way. So doing something, it's going to be a vast improvement compared to where you are today. And, you know, start with something that's small, start with something that probably affects the a key decision you need to make in, you know, six, 12 months time, right? That, that could be, uh, I'm a big fan of starting, you know, starting with, with projects that actually deliver impact in the shorter term. So you can prove the value and then you build on them. You don't have to go shoot for the moon every single time. Sometimes it makes sense, uh, but not every time. And ultimately this, all of this is about making effective decisions, how to get to that end state to that decision-making point with the relevant information, not as much information as possible, but with the right information. So you can actually go have a voice in the room. So you can actually make a business case and you can actually go and make that critical strategic decision that allows your, your business, your firm to move forward a lot faster. You couldn't have said it better. You should have co-authored the paper with that, with that <laughs> comment, I think. Um, I'll, I'll help spread the word <laughs> instead. Um, <laughs> um, but no, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, this was really helpful. Uh, for everyone listening, I'll include uh, links to the paper in, in the show notes. I'll include link to your, your bio and your LinkedIn. So I'm sure if people want to get in touch, uh, you'd be happy for them to get in touch as well. And yeah, it's certainly worth a read. I think the paper itself is about seven, eight pages long. And then there's an appendix, which is full of really useful information. But Mick, thank you so much for coming on and uh, really appreciate your time. It's my pleasure, App. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Before you go, please share this with one other person and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. This podcast was produced by me, Abhijat Saraswath. Paula Chrysostomu is the manager for the show and Pretty Saraswath is the content strategist. You can listen to all previous episodes and reach out to us at fringelegal.com. Thank you.